Hello, and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. You know, if you actually listen to the show at all, that I love friends of friends. So Scott was introduced to me through Michelle Gansley over at McDonald's. And then, of course, then we became friends and we like on Zooms. And now I'm like, why don't you just come and talk with me on the podcast? So Scott Saban, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to join you. Yeah. So Scott is the Consumer and Shopper Insights Leader over at Walgreens. So this is going to be interesting because there's so much that's been going on in flux and healthcare. And, um, you know, really, I know that your uh, expertise is in turning those insights into actual action. Like, what are you going to do with that over at Walgreens and saying, okay, I see that strategy, but how are we actually going to do that and create brand and category growth? And I know that you have a particular interest in behavioral science um, along the lines of consumer research. So I hope that'll come out a little bit today and we'll get to hear about like, what are you thinking at a brand and, and being an end client? Oh, this is like, you must get attacked when you go to conferences. So everybody wants to talk with you, Scott, about what are brands thinking? What do they need? And you know, how are they planning for the future? So Scott, let's dive in and tell me a little bit about your journey that brought you to becoming the insights leader over at Walgreens. Yeah, my journey's been interesting. It has definitely not been linear. It uh, started out from a uh, market research standpoint at Nielsen. I was there uh, right at the, I would say, the end of the VNU period of time when Nielsen was sold off and became a private equity company led by David Calhoun, who had come from GE. And I was in a client service role there working um, really across the beverage alcohol verticals. I would say a lot of my time was on uh, discretionary categories, starting at Nielsen, all that time there on BevAl. Super interesting because it's obviously heavily regulated, uh, state by state things differ, channel by channel. So was working, um, Beam Suntory was a client of mine, uh, Constellation Brands, which uh, I believe when I started working them was called Barton Beers, Barton Spirits, and has changed quite a bit and become quite a conglomerate. And then I also worked with a wine company called Charlotto. And just analyzing their data, just really helping them understand how to use it and harness it, doing some pricing studies and really um, promotional analysis and really making um, strong decisions for themselves. And the last stint that I had at Nielsen, the last client, um, was just an unbelievable opportunity when Miller and Coors got together and decided, you know what, one of us is in Golden, Colorado, one of us is in Milwaukee, we're going we're gonna to go to Chicago and have our offices there. And I got to work on site there for two years at Nielsen. And they ultimately poached me and I became a market research uh, associate manager at Miller Coors and, and really have worked my way up from that point to where I am now, staying in beer uh, at Molson Coors. Miller Coors was what it was called at the time, but it's now Molson Coors. Um, Heineken USA, I worked at for a bit. I did category management there. And then where Michelle and I crossed paths was at Mars Wrigley. So I worked at Mars Wrigley Confectionery, also a discretionary product, but, but completely different being an impulse item, an item that you either get for impulse purchases, you get it in the aisle for uh, multiple occasions, or it's a seasonal item. So super, super interesting experience. Love my time at Mars Wrigley. And uh, from there, I moved over to pasta and sauce and was at Barilla, getting the chance to work for the America's arm of an Italian-owned company. And then, um, you know, it, it done so much research in the shopper category side of things, always had the interest in coming over to Walgreens. And I came over to Walgreens in um, June of last year 
and the role that I accepted after all of these discretionary categories, and we'll throw in pasta too, which is, <laughs> you know, considered more center of the plate, but still um, food and beverage, I moved over to health and wellness. So the, the role that I'm in now, totally different. And with all the COVID, um, I, I feel like I joined in the middle of COVID. I wasn't there in the beginning. I'm not there in this stage now. I'm here in this stage now, but I joined in, in kind of the middle stage before the variants really took off. And I support categories like vitamins, like uh, cough, cold medicine, um, categories such as uh, sleep aids. That's kind of the area that I'm in now. And it's, it's super duper interesting. And being on the re retail side is incredibly different than anything I've experienced before. So that's kind of been my journey from supplier to manufacturer to retailer. Well, tell me a little bit about their learning. Cause I started by saying, you know, I knew you're in the category here with health and wellness, and it has been such a divergence of what you've done in the past, obviously insights and the skills that you need for that and understanding how to activate strategy, you know, all stays with you and you've been growing in that experience, but it was a weird time to move over to a health and wellness category. <laughs> and of course, we also know that Walgreens is far more than just health and wellness. This yep. is just a small sliver of what they do. So I'm kind of curious if all of your other experiences really helps you in the big picture with what's going on in Walgreens, even as you stay a little bit more focused on health and wellness. Do you find that, you know, you're kind of still interested over in what's going on in the, in, you know, food and bed, what's going on in different aisles at, at, at Walgreens? I think about the entire store as a whole. And, and, you know, adding on to that, we've got um, beauty and personal care, which is an area I've never touched before. That is a huge destination category at Walgreens as well. So I try to get to know the entire box. I would say I'm pretty not, not that I, I still pay attention to candy and beer when I walk in. So it's not to say that I um, abandon those categories, but I am still trying to learn as much as I can because I, I have somewhere around 24 categories that my team at Walgreens ultimately supports that are in the health and wellness space. And being in health and wellness, you also you know, have some interaction, you know, being close to the pharmacy area. So um, I would say I learn, lean on a lot of my past experiences in the role that I'm at now. And I would say retail, what makes it incredibly different, even in this COVID atmosphere is how fast you have to move, how fast you have to adapt. Um, I, was, I wasn't there when masks started selling, but obviously masks was an area that was pretty small. It wasn't as big of a deal here in the United States. And, and that obviously took off. And then I've been there for a majority of the at-home COVID testing period of time, which has become a brand new category that we've seen just uh, continue to grow and, and really over the holiday, Christmas, New Year's per period of time, obviously took off in a um, unbelievable manner. So it's, it's, it's definitely been different. There's been a, a learning curve getting to know those categories, but I still try to apply the insights that I've learned along the way, really being customer consumer first and really making sure that your strategies are thinking about impacting outside and beyond your, your four walls. Mm. Well, see, you, you do have a unique perspective because you have worked in so many different categories. Um, but also one part that's unique about your journey is that you also have worked as the research supplier and then as the actual end client. So tell me a little bit about the, the learnings that you have from making that transition, because not everybody does that. That's actually a little bit more unusual. So. I would say I was always told it's it, you're the worst person on a client's side is an ex Nielsen or IRI person because they are, <laughs> can be really hard. I tend to take the opposite view. I have empathy for them. I know what it's like to be at the service of the client. So I tried to always be collaborative. However, you 
hold them to a certain level based on having been on that side already. So I say, when I'm getting a proposal, when I'm reviewing a contract and agreement, um, you know, really getting into, is this the right person to use or not? I really try and pressure test on these things. Who's doing the research? Are you outsourcing it? Is it going to be from you? Um, you know, understanding that this is going to my end client and it's going to influence strategic decisions. And, and I, I've, I've come to learn, not all vendors are created equal. I'm not of the mindset that the big ones are, are lousy and the only great ones are the little ones. And it's, it's not the opposite either. There's great small uh, proprietors that um, have been in the business forever. And there's really strong people at the the Cantars and the Ipsoses and the GFKs of the world. So I, it's just finding the right people that have the strategic mindset and obviously that meet your budgetary needs to solve questions. So I, I'd say that's what I learned along the way. Um, I believe in a ton of rigor and a ton of you know details always included in everything we do. You can always have it in the appendix, but we hopefully are going to be using it quite a bit. And it's not just going to be one and done when um, commissioning research. Right. So you've been on that side where you've done all the work. I mean, work, work, work. And then you hand it off to the client and you've seen it before where yep. the client does a great job with executing on it or the client sits on it and never does anything. Right. Um, so very painful, I, I'm sure. But tell me a little bit from that experience, like now that you're over where you're receiving that research, what do you see as that role of insights in the corporate environment, you know, to actually, you know, have impact? Like what, what's the business impact you're doing? What do you think your duty is receiving that, that research? How do you go about that on a day-to-day basis? So I think there's been a little bit of a paradigm shift since I've entered the field. I think as opposed to a lot of high volume projects, I think now we're trying to be more mindful in the work we're doing, try to make it last longer, try to make it strategic. And the reason why I think that's taking place is in order to make insights more impactful, more sticky, is to really make those projects last and really have them impactful. And I feel like on the client side, my number one job, I mean, sure, when I was hiring for primary research duties, it would be to fulfill that business objective, but even more so it's embedding that research, taking those learnings, really figuring out what stays on the cutting room floor, what do we use? And amongst what do we use? How do I land this with my stakeholders so they do something with it? Because the researcher, certainly we're strategists too, we can help, but we aren't usually going to be the ones owning the strategy. We're not running point for it. We're there to help, to support, to guide. So it's a lot of it's just embedding it and helping sure if you're writing a creative brief that the insight is in there and it's front and center and everything is being built around the insight and around the consumer. And you're really thinking about who that person is and you're, you're having empathy for really what they're going through, what are their unmet needs and how do you solve them essentially. Conducting global research, marketing your brand to a multilingual audience with translation, transcription, voiceover, and subtitling services in over 75 languages will make the connection to your audience in their own language. Get the linguistic accuracy you expect with the cultural nuance you need, all tailored to your needs with friendly service. Try Multilingual Connections. Mention Little Bird Marketing for $100 off your first project. Multilingualconnections.com. So you get called on by a lot of departments. That's what it sounds like to me. So you receive these insights and now you're saying, okay, here's a slice that you need. Here's a slice you need. 
what do you love about it? Like, what do you like being called on for? <laughs> like what, what's exciting about the insights you're receiving and how you get to be immersed in the data, but yet get to, you know, lend that data and help people understand how to carve it out that's in a way that'll affect their department. A couple of things. First of all, curiosity. I'm a very curious person. I find it super interesting. Um, I, I mean, I've only worked in, I would say that what I call like the core CPG areas. So I haven't worked in durable goods in some of those areas, but I think all of these categories have such fascinating purchase cycles and how people make decisions and how like the categories I'm in now are, are, are critical. They're categories that people need to help them stay healthy and to help them uh, persevere day in and day out to help them feel better when they're sick, things like that. So it's, it's curiosity and it's also opportunity. Like I love uncovering opportunities and figuring out how can we better meet someone's needs? How can we as a retailer better show up? How can we be there to delight somebody and get them to buy something that they need, but they hadn't really thought about in the moment? I would say those are the type of things. And then you're asking about internally, um, how can I help solve somebody's question or somebody's provocation? Like, how can I um, make them look better or help them uncover it? I, I never feel like insights is, if it were the Oscars, I never feel like we should be accepting the best actor or actress award. I feel like we play a supporting role and that's where we fit best and we help others really shine and help guide them. And that's just, um, I think, tends to be the personality of insights people. And I've never wanted to really deviate far from that. Oh, I like that. But tell me a little bit about Scott Saban, the human that walks into Walgreens when you're off hours. <laughs> um, what about when you walk into a competitor? Like, you know what you, we, we can't undo, we can't undo the people we are. So tell me about like what you're thinking and what you're, you know, what kind of stuff gets you, you know, gets you maybe daydreaming a little bit about what could be. I would say I like to ask a lot of questions. Um, I've, I've learned over time. I, w I wouldn't describe it necessarily as pushing back, but I've kind of helped get beneath the question. And, and sometimes quite candidly, the question is coming from somebody higher up and it isn't always easy to get to that point. But I always, I feel like if you can get a strong feel for the question, then you can get a better answer. If it's just like a, give me this one data point, how is our share versus last month? Like, that's great. That's what happened already. That's in the past we're essentially reporting right now. We're not, it's not really a business question that could impact the strategy. It's more about our past performance. Now, can our past performance impact future results? I mean, most definitely, but there needs to be a connection. We did this in the past and now we're going to do this and now we're hoping for this. So um, I would say, yeah, I like to, when I walk into presentations that I've been, I always am asking and trying to understand how they're going to use the information and what the core questions they're trying to solve for and what's essentially what's keeping them up at night, really. That's that's really what you want to get at. Yeah, I love that. And you also used a word that I don't want to bypass it. I want to unpack it a little bit, opportunity. Yep. So yeah, sometimes, you know, insights, uh, consumer insights uh, managers or, you know, professionals are blamed a little bit for being very rear view mirror <laughs> type of people and looking at the data, but you've talked about curiosity and about empathy and about, you know, looking for opportunity. So, you know, is there a particular thing, you know, without divulging trade secrets of Walgreens <laughs> where you see, you know, just really some shifts in our market and you see the opportunity 
opportunities? Like, where are they right now? We've obviously been through crazy spikes with telehealth. We've been through crazy spikes with masks <laughs> and um, different ordinances and then, you know, different kinds of approaches, you know, to health and even, you know, the Walgreens, um, you know, uh, approach of more neighborhood kind of thing has made people feel more comfortable when they didn't want to be in massive superstores, you know, during COVID. So there, there's a lot of things that are like trend. Is this a fad? Is this a whatever? So where, where, where are you looking for that opportunity? What, what do you think is, 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 um, is there anything happening that maybe is um, like a macro uh, trend coming that you're watching? So my belief system is before COVID, we were heavily reliant on convenience. So that's where drugstores played. That's where convenience stores played. Uh, we also were reliant on value. Value from a pricing standpoint, you go to a Walmart, you go to a club store if you have a membership, those things were in place. Then all of a sudden COVID hit and it became all about health and safety. Uh, where do I go to a store where there's not going to be a lot of people? How can I get in and out quickly? Um, I think before COVID online was, was on fire. It was people were ordering online and Amazon and, and Omnichannel was really taking off. And, you know, I did all kinds of um, exposed to all kinds of different research on click and collect and things like that. Obviously, I think that accelerated with COVID. I think what changed is that some of your older customers, your baby boomers, and even that silent generation that wasn't going online, they learned how to because they had to. So now I think it's been realized that there's, there's subscription models out there where you can just put these orders on auto replenishment and they're just going to they're just going to come to you every 90 days or every 120 days. And that, that shift has happened to more people. I think from a convenience standpoint, we're back to some degree to our pre-COVID behaviors. So I think people now are time starved once again. They had all this time at home and now they're time starved again. And then value-wise, I think obviously we have inflation. We've had economic uncertainty, which seems to have gotten a little better, but the gas prices and the inflation are high now. So now people are also looking for value. So I think. Um, you know, we as Walgreens need to have a distinct value proposition to get people to use us for convenient needs, to get people to see the value that we present, um, obviously make people feel safe and comfortable in our stores. And I, I think we, we have all the pieces in place to continue to accelerate in that manner. But I think people have changed their behaviors through COVID. There's some things that were a fad that you know, people baking banana bread and things like that over um, the lock lockdowns. Um, maybe those don't continue on. Maybe those were kind of one-off things, but I think there are behaviors such as more and more people penetrating the um, digital channels that are going to continue to play a role. And we have a great offering for um, same-day delivery, for uh, shipping, for, um, you know, pickup, um, in-store pickup. We have all those things in place. And I just think they're, they're going to continue to play a bigger role for us as well as for the, the marketplace. Oh, I love it, but I will give this confessional. I did make a squirrel uh, picnic table during the <laughs> pandemic. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to do that again. So I agree with you. <laughs> so what off? <laughs> so let's not change the entire strategy over squirrel picnic table parts. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Well, this reminds me of one thing, you know, I, I'm hearing you talk a lot about the customer, what they need, what they want to feel and everything. And it reminds me, I've heard you say before that your mantra really is to make sure that the consumer is always at the very heart of everything you're doing, like that you, you never forget that. So tell me a little bit about your approach in there and how do you keep that fresh? How do you keep yourself asking that question? But is this good for our, our customer? I think it's a lot of um, looking at the insights you have, whether they're qualitative, whether, whether they're quantitative, 
examining behaviors. Um, you know, if you have primary research, great, leverage that. If you have secondary information you're leaning into, but just try and get as close as you can to your target. If you have a specific target in place, who that person is, um, what you know, are some of the challenges they're trying to overcome and make sure whatever you're doing, whatever you're designing, whether it's a strategy, whether it's a product, whether it's a shelf, that you have that person in mind for what you're doing and kind of gut check um, the executions that you're making against what you've learned about that person and don't deviate from that. I mean, targets change over time. So obviously if that's the case, um, definitely adapt. And if it seems like it's a big deviation from what you're doing already, then test it. Test it in a certain number of stores, test it in a virtual environment. You know, if you have a consumer led insight, put it to the test and see, um, Indeed, if, it, if it's going to provide a lift with some level of significance, and if it certainly does, then activate it further. Right. You, you guys do but, have, you, you do have the unique, uh, you know, ability to go test things in small pieces because you do yes. have such a large footprint, but I'm also, you know, I do know that you all use VR and immersive types of technology as well to, to test those things. But to me, that always starts from the actual insights person saying, no, my number one priority is the consumer. Yes, <laughs> And I really love that. But, uh, well, I really appreciate you taking your time and talking to us a little bit about what really is going on over on the client side, because I know it's not been also the easiest of years. <laughs> and then you made a transition in the middle of that. So I, I'm not totally sure how you handled that, Scott, but you definitely want to uh, reach out and uh, connect with Scott. If you're in this industry, this is so such a great way of actually, you know, expanding our network with colleagues, but it's Scott Sabin and it's S-C-O-T-T, but it's S-A-B. I-N. So definitely go connect with him online. And if you have questions um, that go a little bit further about some of the methodologies or some of the um, approach that he has, I know I catch him on LinkedIn. So I know you can too. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for taking your time. I really appreciate it. And um, I do like how, you know, more consumer insights professionals are being more vocal about the fact that they usually do take a supporting role. And yet it's really important to see what's motivating you all. Absolutely. Happy to join you. Thank you so much for the time. Okay. Well, next time I'm in Chicago though, we're having a beer. It sounds great. Okay. <laughs> That's the only requirement for being on this show, apparently. You got it. Uh, awesome. From all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.